0: Amen. Thank you, Aaron, and praise team. Appreciate you guys. Good morning for those of you who are watching at home. We uh, are appreciative of our, um, our tech team making all this happen, and it's not a coincidence that you are watching this broadcast this morning. God, who is sovereign over all and who controls every molecule, knows that you are watching this, and maybe he has a word just for you today. Maybe you need to hear what is going to be said from God's word today about the power that God possesses that is now ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I pray that you'll uh, tune your heart to him this morning and open the the eyes of your heart spiritually to what it is that he wants to say today. Thank you guys, appreciate it, thanks Aaron. Today we're gonna continue our series from the the book of Acts and I, I love this unfolding story, true story, it's a history of the birth of the church and how the the Holy Spirit rushed into God's new covenant people on this side of the cross and how they're this unstoppable force now going throughout all the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So throughout this month of August, we're looking at how these ordinary kind of ragtag, kind of uh, Hebrew school dropouts, a lot of them are are kind of, uh, you know, these defunct group of uh, apostles, fishermen, and tax collectors, and people from, uh, who were considered not good enough and not the best of the best, how they become this unstoppable force because of the power that is within them and how the overwhelming odds stacked against them don't stand a chance against the church, the church that Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, when I was a kid, my family loved to watch uh, a, a few shows together. There weren't many that we watched, but one of them that we watched was one that uh, maybe you watched too in the in the 90s, Home Improvement. Remember Home Improvement? You had this uh, Tim Allen was this Tim, the tool man, Taylor. He was a family man, but he also had a show, a Home Improvement TV show, and inevitably he'd be on the show demonstrating some project, and he'd get stuck, and he would say, you know what we need, Al, he'd turn to his assistant, Al, and say, you know what we need, right? And he'd look at the audience, and everybody would say, what? That's it, Craig, you got it, more power, and he'd start grunting, and he'd get out some huge power tool, and he'd, you know, inevitably make a mess out of it, but, uh, you know, Ron Landis, I hope Ron's watching this right now, he's our facility director, and he's kind of our own Uh, tool man around here, our maintenance and and, uh, supervisor. And sometimes when Ron gets a big power tool or working on a big project, he'll break into that grunting and uh, channel his inner tool man, which I love. I think it's hilarious. It's true that nothing will get done without power though. We need power. You know, uh, recently Morgan and I bought our our son, Jude, a, a pressure washer. <laughs> Here's a gift, son, uh, enjoy the pressure washer. And put him to work uh, pressure washing the driveway. We got a good deal on a little electric pressure washer. It has 1200 PSI, you know what that means? It, it exerts a force of water that's equal to 1200 pounds per square inch. And I thought that was awesome. And, and Jude was out there pressure washing it. But one time I, my neighbor said, oh, I have a really good you know, gas powered uh, pressure washer that I can, I can bring. And I was like, why would we need that? We have this perfectly good one here. It's 1,200 PSI. He said, yeah, mine's 3,000. I said, what? It's almost three times the power of my little electric one. And when he brought it over and Jude used it, he doesn't wanna go back to the electric one because the gas one gets so much more accomplished in so much less time because it has more power. If our church is gonna fulfill its mission to love the Lord with all that we are, to love our neighbors as ourselves and to make disciples out of everyone that we come in contact with, we need power. We're gonna have to move forward with power. But I think power gets a bad rap a lot of the times these days. We hear about you know political power that's corruptive and, and corrupting and we hear about agendas that different political groups have and they want power to accomplish those agendas. We read about dictators and you heard this this truth before that absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think that's pretty accurate in a lot of our world. In the Harry Potter books, Voldemort, the bad guy, tells Harry, there is no good or evil, there's only power and those who are too weak to seek it. It's all about power, bad people want power, right? But it's important to remember that power is is not evil in and of itself. There is a kind of power that comes from the one who is all-powerful, the one who is sovereign over everything, the one whose will triumphs every time. And that's the kind of power we're gonna talk about today, the power that comes from the Lord and that fills his church and it renders the church an unstoppable force in the world. I'm not talking about political power in the church. I'm not talking about social media influence or financial power or cultural power to overcome some kind of culture war. I'm I'm talking about the kind of power that enables the church to accomplish the God-given mission to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. What did Jesus tell us about power at the very beginning of Acts? Look at Acts 1-8. one eight, you will receive power, he said to his disciples before he ascended back into heaven. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in power in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will accomplish the mission through the power of the Holy Spirit in you is what he prophesies. And we've already seen that statement partially fulfilled in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit does indeed come upon the disciples. And with a mighty rushing wind, it's powerful. And it moves these believers in Jesus to make disciples. It enables them to go forth in power from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We saw how Philip shared the gospel with the Samaritans, and then we saw how he shared the gospel with a Ethiopian traveling back to Africa. We saw a Roman centurion uh, fall at Peter's feet when he accepted Christ and all his family and all his household was baptized into a living faith in Christ. A Roman, this is a pagan foreign power and he's coming to Christ now. We're starting to see this unstoppable force of Saul and Barnabas, remember they went to Antioch and discipled this amazing church plant in Antioch and the young believers were growing and maturing in their faith thanks to Saul and Barnabas. But the whole movement of the church began in an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem and it began when the Holy Spirit came into Jerusalem and and that's where the first Baptist church ever, uh, first Baptist church Jerusalem was born and planted And today we're gonna return to Jerusalem to see how this early church was filled with power before we we move outward into the rest of the world. This is the last time in the book of Acts that we're gonna be focused on the church in Jerusalem. And here in chapter 12, we're gonna see a, a struggling church dealing with overwhelming persecution that has really threatened to undo them and has scattered believers all across the known world. We're gonna see these people who in and of themselves have no power, they have no influence, they have no political might or will, but we're gonna see how they find themselves with their backs against the wall because the Roman Empire, the greatest power the world has ever seen, is oppressing them and beginning to exert its influence on them. But then eventually we'll see how the power of God, the one who is all-powerful, is working on their behalf and how no empire on earth, past, present, or future, can stand against the people of God successfully. We're gonna see how the, <clears throat> the power of God that's expressed <clears throat> in the new life that Christ and the Spirit have given us as God's people, enables us to become an unstoppable force for the mission of God as well. So we're gonna see three stages in this narrative uh, about the power that drives the church. And the, the first, it's kind of just an outline. We're gonna see how there was an absence of power in Jerusalem, and then we're gonna to move to a display of, of God's power, and then we're gonna to move to the where the source of the power really is. So let's look at uh, Acts 12, starting in verse one. And before we dive into this text, let me set it up the, the scene for you a little bit. Uh, We're gonna see that there's a new King Herod on the throne in Judea in this whole region he's ruling over. I was on a Zoom call with my Sunday school group this morning and they were saying there's a lot of Herods in the Bible and it's very confusing. This is not the Herod. Herod the Great is the one you probably have heard of the most because he's the guy that had some Magi from the East visit him and told him that a Messiah was born, a new King of the Jews. And he said, nope, I'm the king of the Jews. And so he had all the firstborn children, the firstborn male uh, children in Judea killed. Remember that? During Jesus's birth narrative. This is his grandson, Herod Agrippa. And the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, apparently, because this guy's a ruthless politician too. He's always grabbing up political power and control for himself. And he's always super paranoid about rebellions rising up against him. And when he was a boy, his uh, granddad, Herod the Great, killed his father, uh, Aristobulus, and he sent the boy, Herod Agrippa, to Rome to be educated. And when he was a boy, he made friends with these young aristocrat children in Rome, and uh, eventually a couple of his buddies rose through the political ranks of Rome, and they became Emperors, you had Caligula and then Claudius who were his childhood playmates, and they basically hook Herod uh, Agrippa up with uh, the, the same territory that his granddad had. And now he's ruler, he's not really king. he's kind of a puppet governor that Rome has set up over this entire area of uh, Judea and Samaria. He's, he's in charge of all of it. Well, Rome's in charge of all of it, but he's the, the governor really of this whole, region again, and he's bent on doing whatever it takes to maintain control and power in that region. He'll lie, cheat, steal, and kill in order to maintain his popularity and his power in the region. So with that in mind, let's look at Acts 12, verses one to four. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. This was James, the brother of John, one of the the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. He was part of Jesus's inner circle along with his brother and with Peter. And he's the first disciple to be martyred for the faith. Herod killed him using the sword because that's what the the Mishnah, the Mishnah is like the external Jewish law book. The Mishnah prescribed death by sword for those who were apostates, those who had walked away from the Orthodox Jewish teachings and the Jewish faith. And of course, the leading Jewish officials in Jerusalem love that Herod has apparently taken their side and he's executed James, who is, uh, again, one of the leading apostles in this time. These Jewish officials feel like they've gained political power because the king is doing their bidding. He's acting out what they want to happen. And so Herod, of course, loves this popularity with the Jewish officials. So he says, you guys like that, that I killed James, watch this, I'm gonna get Peter. And he has Peter, kind of the the spokesman for the apostles, the great sermon that he delivered at Pentecost, that Peter has him thrown in prison and you can't execute anybody during the Passover, so he waits for those days to end so he can kill Peter as well. It doesn't look good for the church, does it? Peter is about to die, James, man, James, beloved, Part of Jesus's inner circle is killed. Imagine being John. Can you imagine being John in this time? James was not only his brother, but in every gospel account of John, James is right there with them. They were best friends. They were the sons of thunder, man. And now James is, is gone. And then Peter, who uh, went into the empty tomb with John, is about to die. John's gonna be the last living part of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. Can you imagine what's going through his mind? What could he possibly do? He probably felt powerless. What could any of them do? What could the church actually do in this terrible situation? They probably felt powerless. They had no political power to sway Herod to show mercy to Peter. But here's the thing, the, the power that makes the church an unstoppable force in this world has never been political power. It's never been about earthly rulers because they are not the saviors of God's people. We would do well during this election season to play our civic duty, play your Christian duty, I would say, uh, to, to vote and to vote your conscience according to your faith. But it's important to remember to not put our hope in politicians to deliver us because ultimately they cannot. They have no power to save. That power belongs to Jesus Christ alone. As we sang earlier, in Christ alone, my hope is found, not in a political party or a political savior. But we have something that's far greater than political power. I really believe this, and I want you to believe this today too in your heart. We have a direct line to the one who sits on the throne. We have access, direct access, to the one who holds every molecule of creation in his fingers and in his control. Look at verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The prayer of a righteous person, James five says, is, has great power as it is working. See, prayer is our lifeline. Without prayer, there is no power in the church. Why are so many churches powerless today? I think it's because they don't have a commitment to prayer. What would happen in our churches if we got on our knees, if we cultivated a culture of prayer, where we become serious about prayer? I believe God's power would be unleashed in a mighty way. Way because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know, there's times in our lives where we feel like John did, where we feel like the church in Jerusalem did. Everything seems to be crumbling down around us. We, you know, are in the middle of a global pandemic. I, I'm sure you you probably know someone who has either had COVID or or who's lost someone due to COVID. A lot of you like me know someone who's died from COVID-19. We we find ourselves in these insurmountable odds stacked against us. When I think about systemic racism and injustice, when I think about all the the moral evils uh, in our society, it can be overwhelming. We've had several people in our church who've lost their jobs and are are faced with no income and how, how are they gonna pay their bills? How are they gonna get by? We, we know that a lot of people in our church, even during the last few months, have received that diagnosis that no one wants to hear of cancer. When, when we find ourselves in those kind of situations, we feel powerless. I've been there. I'm sure you may, you may be there right now where you feel powerless. But here's the thing. When it seems like nothing can be done, as Christians We can always do something and it is something that is powerful. We can approach the throne, the mercy seat with boldness and confidence through Christ our Lord and knock on the door of heaven and it will be opened to us if we ask and we seek and we knock. A lot of times we forget to do that. It seems like such a passive thing to do to just hit our knees in prayer. It seems like, you know, it's just kind of backing off and not really doing something. I'm, I'm an action-oriented person. I like to be doing things. But what if prayer is actually the most effective thing that we can do in a, in a situation that seems insurmountable? What if prayer actually accomplishes more than we could ever imagine? What if prayer is the most important thing that we could do in the face of overwhelming odds? I believe that because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I wonder if the the church's opponents here in First Baptist Church Jerusalem, I wonder if their opponents thought they were weak for just huddling up in some room and praying together. I wonder if they said, "You guys are are pathetic. If you really want to do something, why don't you, you know, spring Peter out of prison? Why don't you stage a kidnapping? Or why don't you, you know, become a terrorist organization and really fight against the Romans and fight against the Jewish leaders and and really establish your power in this area. But instead, you're just holed up in some room on your knees. What good is that doing? Well, that brings us to the second point. You're going to see the display of power here in God's people and in the church. Look at verse six. Now, when Herod was about to bring Peter out on that very night, Peter was sleeping, chained between two soldiers, bound with two chains, a vision. And the angel, so then this is the, the crazy thing about this text here. Are, are you a heavy sleeper? Anybody out there a really heavy sleeper? I know some people that, uh, you know, my son is, is approaching teenage years and sometimes it's hard to get him out of bed now that we're back in the school routine. Um, if, if you're a heavy sleeper, you can relate to what's going on here. Peter's just kind of stumbling around half asleep, even after the angel whacks him on the side And I love, it's hilarious in verse eight that the angel says, dress yourself. Come on, put on your sandals. Wrap your cloak around you. Come on, man. It's like me talking to my four-year-old. Come on, put your shoes on, buddy. Come on, no, the other foot. No, you gotta get your socks on first. Come on, buddy. It's how the angel's talking to Peter. And here's the crazy part to me. How is it that Peter is sleeping so soundly before he's to be executed? I can't imagine sleeping on a cold prison floor, much less bound between two soldiers with you on that prison floor trying to get some sleep. But Peter's snoozing. How is it that he can do that? It's because this is the kind of sleep that is granted to a person who is secure in the knowledge of their savior. He has a a good conscience and a quiet inner confidence before his maker that everything is gonna be okay. He has that security knowing that, that, that God is going to take care of things in God's own way. Peter's at peace with himself and with God. And that peace is offered to you today as well. If you aren't sleeping well these days, maybe it's because you're not at peace with yourself or with God. I would encourage you to call the, the number on the screen, and talk to a minister about, about or we have some volunteers here today, actually, too. Talk to someone about what it means to be at peace with yourself and with God. It can only be done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So as Peter walks out of prison, the the prison is probably the Antonia Fortress on the northwest corner of the temple uh, complex. It was a huge Roman fortress where a whole garrison of Roman soldiers were sleeping. And they just walk out of there. (laughs) The gates just open automatically, the the word in Greek is "automate." It means automatically the gates swing open. And, And Peter starts to wake up a little bit and realize what's going on. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. And from all that the Jewish people were expecting, they were expecting an execution. Instead, they got a prison break, right? All the expectations that people have were shattered. And do you see what just happened here? All the resources of the Roman Empire, all the tactics and best practices and procedures for prison security, four squads of soldiers, chains, all these things, sentries at the door had been rendered powerless because of the power that a little ragtag group of believers possessed through prayer. The prayers of a righteous person have great power as they're working. The church didn't need an army with awesome weapons. They didn't need numbers. They only had to hit their knees. Two Roman soldiers that are chained to him, two that are posted outside while he sleeps, hundreds of other soldiers stationed in the the garrison, and yet one secret agent of the Lord, one angel that he sends is all it takes to walk Peter out of there safely and open all the gates. We would do well to remember that what is actually happening behind the curtain of this world is powerful that angels are ministering to the church and working out God's good purposes in ways that we can't imagine. And we have to be in tune with the eyes of our heart spiritually to see what the Lord is doing in great power around us. God's messengers are constantly at work. And that, that work that's going on behind the veil, behind the reality of this world defies our expectations, just like everybody in Jerusalem who assumed Peter was lost. Look at verse 11 again. It says, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. The power of God's at work all around us. And no situation is beyond his power to save. There is no such thing as a hopeless situation for the church. For Christians, for those who are found in Christ, He holds the power all the time to save sinners, to save those who are far from Him, those who are lost and searching. He also possesses the power to redeem and rescue this fallen world back unto Himself. I love the way Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, put it in his great hymn. Uh, And can it be, Acts 12 was probably on his mind as he wrote these lines. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. So Peter goes to a guy's house named John Mark, who's a believer, and apparently his family was pretty wealthy. They have a big house. There's a lot of believers gathered there. And and what are they doing when, when he shows up? Look at verse 12. Of course, he knows what they're doing. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. That's the guy that wrote the gospel of Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Of course, they're praying, right? God's people are hitting their knees in prayer during this time. We know that's what they were doing because that's when Peter shows up. Look at verse 13. So he knocks at the door of the gateway and a servant girl named Rhoda comes to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. I love the confusion here. She's so excited she leaves poor Peter standing out in the cold. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. That's literally what the Greek says. This, this is where that phrase comes from, from Acts 12. You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. It's a, a spirit probably. But Peter continued knocking. I think that's hilarious. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Of course, they were amazed. They, why were they amazed? Because Peter, who they assumed was lost as well, was, was actually there in the, the, the flesh. Here's the thing, why are we amazed when God answers our prayers, when he actually does what we were asking him to do? What's really amazing is how slow we are to believe that God can actually do the things that we're asking him to do. I wish that we would be more willing to see God's power and that he's willing and wanting to answer our prayers, even bold prayers. I, I've been encouraged to pray more boldly in my prayer life. Ask for revival. Ask for God to destroy the coronavirus. Ask for Him to uh, find new ways to be the church and to empower His people in this day and age. When we pray for something and God grants our request, we shouldn't be amazed. We should just say, Of course, thank you, Lord. You always work for our good and for your glory. Which leads us to the third point, the source of the power that drives the church. Look at verse 17. Peter wants everybody to know what has happened. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James. That's another James. Of course, James, the brother of John has been killed. This is James, the brother of Jesus tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. We don't know where he went, but we know that, that he left at that point. But he wanted everyone to know the source of the power, the answer, answered prayers that have been heard and acted on by the Lord in this time. He wanted these leaders to be reminded that no empire that ever has been or ever will be can stand against the church. Peter heard Jesus tell him against the church, the gates of hell shall not prevail. He wanted to remind First Baptist Jerusalem that the Lord's power would always win over any earthly power. I was talking with a friend just this week about wanting to see God's power at work in my life. I want to see signs and wonders. I want to see God do things that just blow my mind. Why is it that we don't see people walk out of prison like this anymore? Why is it that we don't see these things in our lives? I think it may be because we don't pray for them. Maybe we're not being bold enough in in praying for miraculous signs and wonders. You know, Rachel, our children's minister, often reminds us of James uh, chapter four, verse two. We don't have often because we don't ask. Maybe we should ask for, for God's power to be revealed in our lives and to do something miraculous. If you're not praying for revival in Nashville, I've I, I that you to join me in that prayer, that people would come to the Lord in droves, that we would see a great awakening in our country and in our world, and that we might be blessed to just be a part of it. You know, God wants us to rest and the assurance of his unchanging, unlimited power that is working on our behalf. You know, in the following months after this text, God would again underline this truth for the Jerusalem church by dealing with Herod in an unforgettable way. After Peter's escape, Herod had all the guards that were with him on that night. He had them killed and executed. Then look at verse 20. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Pretty graphic description of what happened when this guy, Herod, received the worship that was due to the Lord for himself. Remember Peter, when he went to Cornelius' house and Cornelius fell at his feet in worship, what did Peter say? Yes, yes, I'm here. Yes, you may worship. Kiss the ring. No, he didn't. He said, get up, man, I'm I'm a human just like you. Come on, worship God, I'm I'm just a person. He didn't receive that worship that was reserved for the Lord. But Herod said, yes, yes, bring it on. And immediately the Lord struck him. You know, some of us need to be reacquainted with the reality of our position and of our power that is rooted in Christ Jesus. We need to remember that we are not God. Only God is God, but we get to partner with God in bringing his mission to earth as it is in heaven. God remains in control, he remains sovereign over this world, and to remember that? He's promised never to leave us, never to abandon us or forsake us to our own devices and our own feeble power. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing is what Martin Luther said in the hymn we sang earlier. God's angels are working out his purposes and power all around us in ways we can't imagine. Prayer brings this amazing power into our lives, into our church, and in our community. The question is, do you really believe these things? Do you trust that God is sovereign over all, that his power is limitless? Do you believe that we become an unstoppable force when we are infused with his power? Do you believe that prayer unleashes power in our church and in our homes and breaks change and and brings healing? After Herod dies, look at verse 24, just to close. The word of God increased and multiplied. That's my prayer for our church. Will you join me in praying? Lord God, we wanna see your power. We wanna see your word increase and and multiply at Woodmont and throughout Nashville and in our nation. Lord, we wanna see something happen that only you could do. We wanna see people come to you in faith and in droves. We wanna see chains of addiction broken. We wanna see uh, injustices that are righted. We wanna see racial healing come to our city and to our world. God, we wanna see these miraculous things happen all by your grace and for your glory. We pray these things boldly in the power and of the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen, thank you for joining us today. Uh, If you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ, we invite you to call the number on the screen and do so right now. There's no more important decision you could ever make and no better time to do so than right now. We're gonna sing Jesus paid it all, that the power of his saving sacrifice has made us new. We invite you to join us in this time of response now as we sing. Thanks for watching.